0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Beyond Miyazaki's Word. I'm Betty. Hi, and it's Avery. And we just got back from our winter break and so excited to start a brand new episode this spring, talking about another movie directed by Miyazaki's son called From Up on Poppy Hill. I always mess up with the (laughs) name. Okay, and before going deeper into the movie, please note that um, there's a lot of spoilers in our discussion. So if you plan to watch the film, you can come back later to listen to us. But if you don't mind, we hope you enjoy the episode. And now I'm going to hand it over to my co-host to give you all the movie summary.
1: Yeah, so this film came out in 2011. And as Betty said, it was directed by Goro Miyazaki. So we've only done one other episode about a movie he did, which was *Tales from Earthsea*. Um, and so, when
0: when was *Tales from Earthsea*? When did that one come out? I don't remember, but I can go back to my note. Um, I was
1: just wondering what the gap between these two films are, because I do feel like art style and animation-wise, I think it improved th- a lot.
0: Yeah, this one is his second one. Second so, one. So probably right after *Tales from Earthsea*.
1: Yeah, I feel like Tales from Mercy was sometime in the 2000s. But anyways, back to the summary. So this is a romantic drama. Um, The screenplay is actually by Hayao Miyazaki himself and also by Keiko Niwa. And so the story is set in 1963, Yokohama, Japan. And it's kind of this post-World War II, post-Korean War climate. And so we have this young student and oldest sister, Umi Masuzaki. And she's very determined and hardworking, and she meets this fellow classmate named Shun Kazama and so the pair they kind of start to share this budding of young romance and uh, they navigate familial complications which we'll get into that uh, grief and also this student-led fight to protect an old clubhouse building from demolition so in our usual fashion maybe we should start with world building
0: yeah we can start with um, the settings of the movie like you said, I feel like the movie improved a lot about the settings. Like I really enjoy on the backgrounds, like the activities that uh, Umi had at the beginning of the movie. Like it's it's pretty chill and it's give a lot um, of the themes slice of life, which I feel like it's enjoyable to watch.
1: Yeah, I definitely feel like this film has more of a slice of life vibe compared to his previous movie Tales from Mercy, which had a lot more action and fantasy. Um, I feel like this film did a better job of kind of giving us those like staple Ghibli moments where it's uh, the romanticization of like the small, quiet life or just the mundane things. And so we see Umi like doing chores around the boarding house, going about her daily life, like buying fish at the market and stuff like that. Um, And then another one I noted was whenever she walks to school, which those scenes actually kind of reminded me of Whisper in the Heart. A little bit, probably because this is another Ghibli movie where we'll see, we're seeing more like a urban uh, Japan, which most of the movies we've seen so far are either kind of like European inspired or they're fantasy or they're rural Japan, like My Neighbor Totoro. And so this one in Whisper of the Heart, I think world building wise, gave me similar vibes because we're actually in like a urban setting in Japan Um, and so yeah like when she walks to school it reminded me a lot of all the scenes of Shizuku walking and whisper in the heart and then also when she eats her lunch uh the way the food looks we're getting back to that kind of like Ghibli staple of just making food look so delicious um and also how whenever you're sharing a meal that's a time to connect with others because almost every time there's the eating or cooking scene in this it's relating Umi to those around her in a sense but Yeah, was there anything else that you picked up?
0: I feel like most of what you just said, like, I really enjoy the cooking scenes. Like, I love that in Ghibli movie that it makes it so aesthetic and satisfying. And also, I love how um, the family gather together. Like, I feel like it's the point of, like, most of Ghibli movie, even though they're not really related to each other, but they live in the same house so that I can find somehow of, like, the connection between each other. And I love that part, like, family
1: no me too and we can cover this real quick because me and Betty were talking about before we sat down to record how it was kind of confusing who was related to who and like what was going on in her household and so from what I looked up so she's living in a boarding house and so um the only people she's like blood related to so she has her mother who's off studying in America and then her two younger siblings which the girl what is the girl the girl's name is Sora I don't remember what the little boy's name is um but yeah those are her two Younger siblings, and then there's like the three adult women living there, and then the grandmother. I don't know if the grandmother's related to her, but we know that the three adult women are just um, people that live in the boarding house. They're not actually related, but they all have their meals together, like Betty said. And so you definitely still get this like family. Essence, even though they're not actually related, which I just thought was interesting because I feel like that is kind of unconventional from what we've seen in Ghibli movies so far. Because I feel like either the characters have no parents because they have like a tragic past and like their parents are dead or something, or they kind of have like a more conventional family setup with like two parents and like one sibling or something like that. And so to kind of see her like living in a boarding house and she still creates this like She's, she has such a motherly presence, even though she's younger than the older women living in the boarding house. She still has like this motherly presence and they feel like a little family. Yeah. <laughs> so more about world building. Another thing I would point out is that have you seen any Wes Anderson films?
0: No, but I see a lot of people like redo it on Instagram, so maybe I can get the vibe. Okay, yeah. So
1: the vibe of a Wes Anderson film, it's like you have a lot of symmetry and like the way shots are lined out, um you get to see kind of like the background and your uh like main what is it? Like your main focus point, which is usually the characters. You kind of see them in a way where like I don't know, they're almost like interacting together instead of having like super up close shots. You have more of like wide pan shots, I guess. I'm not a film person, so I'm probably like explaining this bad but yeah i felt like this film gave me a lot of wes anderson vibes actually and there's like a particular scene i think about so whenever um umi shun and i forgot the boy with glasses his name but um that boy as well Uh, they're like sitting on the bench waiting to talk to the chairman like the way that scene was shot had like really good symmetry like of them three sitting on the bench and they have like upright posture and you kind of have this montage of people leaving the office building like something about that just reminded me of Wes Anderson and there's this one I'll have to look it up there's this one Wes Anderson movie that in general gave me okay wait I think it's called Moonrise Kingdom And, like, it's because in this movie, there's also, like, a little clubhouse for boys, but they're, like, uh, they're Boy Scouts. And so, in this film, when we get, like, the clubhouse with all the rambunctious boys, and then we have the girls coming to visit, and it's just kind of a funny dynamic, this movie had similar vibes. So, I don't know, I just thought that was interesting.
0: No, I think it's interesting that you find some similarity between, like, Wes Anderson movie and this movie. Like, it's very interesting. Yeah, it was not something I was expecting at all, because I
1: feel like usually when we make comparisons on this podcast, it's to other animated films or to previous Ghibli ones. I've never, like, looked at something and gone, this reminds me of, like, actually this live action director, so it was kind of, um, I don't know, it was just interesting. It, like, gave me this sort of vibe. I think also because this movie is kind of quirky. I don't know if you felt like that, but it just didn't feel entirely, like, Ghibli. It felt very, like, different and kind of quirky to me especially the music do you want to talk about the music?
0: Yeah definitely It's mm, very different compared to Auto Juplely movie. Like, I feel like this one just a lot um, fit into what Goro trying to do like moving away from the Japanese like traditions like um, the way his father usually portray in his movie like it's more mm-hmm. about connect to the, the traditional aspects. And for Goro, he tried to move forward. So I find it interesting when you compare to a Wes Anderson movie. Because it's more like in the Western culture. Right. So yeah. And back to the music. Like the score for me is not really outstanding. But I find it interesting when he like used some jazz kind of music into Mm -hmm. the scoring. Because I don't think any of Ghibli movies score have. Yeah,
1: when I was trying to think of like score-wise what I would compare this to, I'm thinking maybe Kiki's Delivery Service just based on other Ghibli movies we've seen cuz Kiki's Delivery Service also kind of had this um non like orchestra and non like techno 80s sounding mm-hmm. vibe that we get in like Castle in the Sky and Nausicaä, and then we get more of like a orchestra kind of theme in like Howl's Moving Castle, um Spirited Away, but uh in Kiki's Delivery Service and here we have this more kind of like upbeat like I, Kiki's Delivery Service wasn't really jazz, but it was just like, I don't know. It's just kind of like this different feeling. I, I don't know exactly why I connect those two together, but their sounds are... I don't know. I feel like they're really meant to fit the time period. I think they're trying to tell us more about the historical time period. Because this movie, it's set in 1963. Um, and I don't know if this was like popular jazz at the time, but I, I that's the vibe I'm getting. That it was to help, you know, set the setting with that music but the my issue with the music because I also didn't think it was a great score I thought it was just okay one of my issues is that I didn't feel like there was continuity um like you know every time you hear music throughout the film it has a different vibe to it I don't know like I didn't feel like there was like a continuous theme that connected everything
0: yeah it's like different kind of soundtracks like try to fit into the it's scenes yeah. of the movie. is not, like, continue. Like, like I
1: just said. Exactly. Because yeah. we're talking about, like, the this kind of, like, jazz sound. Um, there's one part where it kind of sounded, like, Italian to me. I don't remember exactly when it was. But I just wrote it down. And I said, isn't this taking place in Japan? Am I missing something here? Like, because it just kind of gave me, like, more of, like, an Italian vibe. Like, it should be in Porco Rosso or something. Um, but there was moments that I really liked um, the music. Um, like, I believe whenever... Umi and Shun discover for... Well, Shun's discovering for the first time that he has that same photograph and they might share the same dad. Like, the music during that scene, I think, complemented it a lot. I remember thinking that. But, yeah, there was those other scenes where I'm like, this feels out of place. Like, I don't feel like it matches the rest of the movie or even the scene. Um, I also, like, didn't like the music at all at first. Just because, like, the opening scene, I was like, what is this? Like, I don't know. It just didn't fit the opening scene, in my opinion. Um, And then also we get umi and she starts like narrating in the beginning she doesn't narrate in any other part of the movie she only does like that first person narration in the beginning and i thought that was kind of weird too it was giving me like disney channel vibes like when the main character is like talking to the audience
0: yeah i feel that and uh i don't know because you what in dub is there any like translated in the opening music or uh no i did not
1: have her what yeah no i didn't have any translations did okay. you get some
0: No, but uh, they put like the translation under it and basically the lyrics is just like about how Umi prepared breakfast, like describe her actions. So I feel like it's kind of interesting, but um, for most of Ghibli movie, the way I enjoy the music is without lyrics.
1: Mm-hmm. So I just
0: enjoy the melodies, but for this one, there's a lot of lyrics in soundtracks. So.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. There's only really one Ghibli movie where I'm like, okay, I like the lyrics, and it's the Ponyo one because uh, it's just so yeah. iconic, but also because it's not during the film. It's like at the end credits scene or the beginning credit scene. I can't remember. So that's different to me. It's not like in the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, So this kind of goes with world building, but this is about umi's character design like i liked her character design a lot and i thought it was really cute that when she walks her little pigtails like sway back and forth yeah no that's so cute in general i just yeah i kind of like the way that her character is made and ooh, another one that i wrote down for world world building is like the clubhouse itself um and just the way it looks a lot of detail studio ghibli would not be studio ghibli without like this insane intricate detail um and you kind of like just get to see like the time period and the fact that the Lit Club is having to produce everything handwritten before they uh, print the copies, like just, you know, adds more depth to the setting that we're in. Um, yeah, and then of course, like the cleaning montages were also kind of cool when mm-hmm. it comes to like animation.
0: I find the way the Clubhouse is portrayed is very interesting because it remind me of um, House Moving Castle, like the Castle of House. Um, it looks somewhat also messy and I don't know if I suit you the word um, dirty, but <laughs> I have no idea. But
1: Yeah, it's like cluttered and disorganized. Yeah,
0: but um, somehow I feel like house castle looks a little bit better. It just like yeah. it looks better and more aesthetically disorganized. For this one, it's just messy and full of dust. And they also explained that just like the way they used to represent the past, but it just like,
1: yeah, I think for I I didn't even think about that comparison, but that's so true. I feel like how is like a disorganized or organized chaos maybe because I feel like he knows where everything is in his room, but it like at the normal person's like view, it's like oh my gosh, how do you find anything? So I feel like for how this is kind of showing like his his like little wizard like cave you know so he just has all his trinkets everywhere but it doesn't like necessarily look bad whereas in this one yeah it's like the building has been neglected and not taken care of which speaking of that uh we just got a leak in the library so it's giving that vibe um (laughs) there was just water pouring down from the ceiling while we were trying to study and we had to leave but yeah so that's the clubhouse vibe it's like what's going on you know who is keeping it updated i don't know oh my ipad's glitching weird (laughs) Oh, it's just typing on its own. Stop! Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay,
0: where were we? Do you have anything else for world world building? Um, I think that's all I have. Uh, just about a setting and a little bit about a score. Um, I want to talk more about like the way the story line is gonna go, but we can like discuss the theme right after this, if you don't have anything to add. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, we start with umi so do you want to talk about like umi's character talking about her background and like the family vibe between the house
1: yeah we can do that so just to start off so we know that umi like what really makes her character a character is the fact that her father has passed away and so that grief is a big defining trait of umi and you kind of see how she has dealt with this grief so her mom is off in america so she's by herself you know dealing with the loss of her father but also dealing with the fact that she's kind of been put in this like matriarch situation where she's kind of in charge she's kind of running the boarding house even though there's these like older ladies that live there she's the one that's like cooking and doing the shopping and stuff and so part of me feels like that is how she's coping with her grief a little bit i think she's trying to stay busy but i also think it's her trying to like maybe fill the role that her father would have been in if her father wasn't gone and the moms off studying in America, it would have been the dad that is at home kind of running things I would imagine. But because he's gone, we see Umi kind of step up and take on that role or at least that's kind of how I interpret it because we see Umi just take on so much responsibility and it's kind of unfair Because there's that one scene where she's like, oh, no, we don't have pork. Mm -hmm. And she tries to get one of her siblings to go get it. And, like, nobody wants to go get it. And so she has to go get it herself. And that really made me mad because I'm like, they don't even know, like, how much she's doing. She's, like, a really good student. She's taking care of her siblings. She's working on the clubhouse. She's dealing with, you know, some romance drama. And she's still coming home to make dinner. And you can't go get the pork for her. That made me mad. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I don't know. And I feel like the fact that she kind of, like, lets people do that to her, you know, like, she doesn't really – you know, be like, no, you need to go get it. Um, I feel like has to. I feel like that's how she's handling her grief is that she's just keeping herself busy and like letting stuff kind of fall onto her as a burden. She is taking it on a, as a responsibility when she shouldn't have to because she's very young and she's in school. But yeah, what yeah. do you think?
0: Yeah, I feel the same, and it reminds me of one scene where the old lady, I would say like maybe her grandma, talked to her and asking her like, why you keep like. Um, raising the flags like that. Don't you feel, like, lonely in this house? And she just, like, deny it all the way. So um, I feel like, like you said, it's just the way she deal with her grief of um, the father's death. And I also remind me of one scene. Oh, my gosh. I didn't take note on this, so I kind of forgot. But, um, oh, yeah. The scene where um, the sister, Sora, just, like, got, got out of the room and go to the breakfast gathering Mm -hmm. late so the way she said just like she spent time um taking care of herself making her hair look nice and care about her appearance a lot but for umi she just doesn't have time and she just like do everything quickly and keep it the same way so that she can have time to care for more things so like you said, I feel like it's also unfair for her. Like she has to handle so much, but it's also her choice. So I have yeah. no thing to comment yeah, on. Yeah, because she
1: does kind of put it on herself to a certain extent. And I feel like that's her dealing with the grief. And then I also think with that, that it's it's interesting to bring up that and compare the two sisters because uh, they're both reacting to grief and their circumstance very differently. We see Sora more of kind of like bear into her school identity and being a tween or teen girl. I'm not exactly sure how old she is. Um, Whereas Umi's kind of done the opposite where she's just trying to like she's kind of allowed herself to grow up fast so that she can take care of things. Whereas I feel like Sora's kind of doing the opposite where she's allowing herself to be more into kind of like superficial things, which isn't necessarily bad because she's a child. Um, It's just interesting to see that they react so differently um, to this situation. Um, And then I would want to bring up the little brother, but we don't really know enough about him to talk about maybe how he's handling the death um, of their father, but...
0: I don't know. I just feel like maybe he would react the same way as Sora does because they both, like, too young when the father passed away. So only Umi is the one who, like, aware of the situations going on here, so...
1: Yeah, no, yeah, Sora was definitely younger. It's not really clarified what their age difference is. Yeah, but... Maybe, like, two years or something.
0: Yeah, probably, because based on the picture, I can tell, like, maybe they just around two or three at that time yeah
1: it could be even one year I'm yeah. not sure um but yeah interesting with that um so do you want to we can talk about ooh, ooh, this is just something to mention because we're talking about Umi and we're kind of talking about her setting and so she lives in this boarding house so uh one of the characters it's the art college student uh Sachiko um so in English she's voiced by do you know who Aubrey Plaza is? mm Okay, well, I'm gonna just say here, I love Aubrey Plaza. She's been in a lot of stuff I've seen. I really like her. I think she has a fun kind of like angsty teen voice. Uh, I'm trying to think of something she's been in that you might know. Um, do you know what Parks and Recs is? Have you heard of that show? Yeah, it's so familiar. Yeah, it's uh, by the same people that did The Office, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So she's in, she's in uh, that. She's in a bunch of other things, but she's really funny. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that because I love Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, outside of that, with the whole um, boarding house context, I like this one quote when like there's two different women that say this. They're like, ah, oh, what would we do without Umi? And, like, you know, when I heard that, we're kind of talking about how she has all of this responsibility weighing on her shoulders. When I heard that, I kind of, that made me kind of upset. Like, what do you mean, what would you do about Umi? Like, be an actual adult? Because they're older than her. I just didn't like to see that she has to kind of, like, be the one in charge and get things done. And then they're just like, oh, what would we do without her? Like, I don't know, like, actually grow up and learn how to cook yourself? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I'm too bitter about it, but. Yeah, I don't know. That quote felt bittersweet to me because I was like, oh, that's kind of sweet because they all look up to her and rely on her. But then at the same time, it's like, who does Umi have to rely on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But something that I noticed is that there is kind of this similarity between the way that the house members at the boarding house like look up to Umi and rely on her and the way that the boys and girls treat her at the clubhouse. It's like very similar where people just kind of like view her as this like, like figure. Like they call her the goddess of luck at the clubhouse. I mean, at home, she's just Umi, but I feel like there's kind of this similar admiration in like putting her on a pedestal almost. Like they just see her as so amazing. And so like when Umi is sick that one time, or she's not sick she was like sad when she found out the truth um and she's like in her bed and like like the dinner was bad or whatever and they all noticed it was bad like they're worried about her because they notice immediately that something's off I don't know just give me I don't know the the relationship between Umi and the house members and Umi and the people at the clubhouse was similar to me
0: okay yeah
1: interesting they both like look up to her um, also, because we were talking a second ago about Umi and Sora's relationship, I read down a quote that I think kind of describes what we're talking about perfectly. Okay. Um, it's when Umi, so uh, Sora wants to get the photograph of Shun mm-hmm. autographed, right? And Umi says, wow, that's a waste of money. And Sora says, but I'm desperate. And Umi's like, well, I'm not. Like, that just describes them, I think, to a T in their relationship. <laughs> like, I just don't think they, like, they love each other, but they definitely don't have the same values or, like, social life. Um, so I just kind of thought that was funny.
0: I love that part too. Like, Umi actually act like a mom at that part. Like, why you spend that much money on just, like, an autograph? No, literally, she (laughs) is, like, filling the mom role. And so it was actually really nice
1: when we finally see the mom come home towards the end of the film because I feel like that's the first time that we see Umi like really break down and like have someone else to rely on because I was saying earlier like you know everyone relies on Umi but who does she have and then the mom finally comes home and you know she talks to her and then just starts crying and the mom holds her and I think that was a really sweet moment for me because you know she didn't have anyone before that she could come to vulnerable like that and seek comfort. Otherwise, she has to act like she's the eldest and take on all this responsibility. So it was nice to see her kind of have that emotional release when she uh, reconnected with her mom. Yeah. I don't know. Do you want to keep talking about her grief? We could because we kind of talked about how she is, um, you know, taking on all these household responsibilities and she's being a good student, staying up late, checking up on her siblings. She's cooking, She's cleaning. But the other thing she's doing to cope with the grief is raising the flags. So do you want to talk about that maybe?
0: Yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Cause at first I'm kind of confused. Like I don't know why. What is the purpose of doing that? Cause I don't know what the flags represent for. But it seemed like a signal that um, Umi's father t- taught her to yeah. do so, so that sh- he can read the message. And it remind me of Ponyo, like they do with the light, yeah, to communicate with ch- each other from far away. But the way she do is. It's kind of sad, too, because um, mm-hmm. the old lady used to ask her once, like, why don't you stop doing that? And because she already know that it's, it's going to be like no response. And it's I feel like it's also a great opening for her to meet Shun because um, he actually respond to her. But she didn't know about that at yeah. first until the um, art college yeah, I well don't know. Yeah, what's Adre- her name?
1: Yeah, it's okay. I know who you're talking about. Audrey Plaza.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she just uh, tell Umi that, oh, I saw some signal. Maybe it's your respond that you're waiting for. So I kind of love that part.
1: Yeah, I like the... F- flags too and like at first i was also confused on what they represent so my initial thoughts was just like oh is she doing the flags because her dad used to do them and she's like carrying on his responsibility and then i was like oh this could make sense because she's also taking around on responsibility around the house um but then you eventually realize that you know the the code she's sending out is something like a prayer for safe returns for the sailors or something like that i don't remember exactly what the movie said it was but the signal is something about like have it like i hope you have a safe return
0: Um, oh really yeah because they never explain in the soft so i have no idea and there's one part that uh shouldn't read her flag signal and he said like hokuta but i don't understand what it means so i have no idea what they're trying to say but let me yeah, i'm gonna i'm
1: gonna search it up so that i don't get it wrong but i know it's something about like hoping that you have a safer term from up on poppy hill It means I wish you a pleasant voyage. Yeah. Uh, I think there's different translations because in mine, it was more like I I wish you a safe journey or like I pray for your return, something like that. Um, So either way, it's kind of like supposed to signify wishing good luck at sea. And so I think it's interesting that Shun sees this flag and he starts to kind of feel like, you know, this is a sign meant for me. And, you know, he writes that poem in the paper about the flag girl and stuff. So this is when he really starts to fall for her. Whereas, on the other hand, we have Umi who's not even aware that he is answering her flags by putting up his own flags. Like, she doesn't even know about this because she'd have to go to the other side of the house to see. Um... And so it's kind of sad when you learn that, the, you know, the reason she's actually putting up these flags is because she's hoping still that her father may come back. And it, and they even mentioned that they have moved houses. So it's not even the same like harbor, same even the same port anymore. And so, you know, even if the father was alive, he's not going to see the flag from there because it's the wrong location um I I don't know I just it's it's so sad that she's still kind of just doing it out of habit and I think it's because she's not ready to move on from the death of her father and we actually get a quote later that I feel like ties into this so Mickey which is uh one of the women that live at the boarding house she's the one that has the going away party she tells Umi at one point uh because she's talking about Mickey's talking about how she's leaving the boarding house and she tells Umi well we all have to move on don't we And to me, I was immediately like, I feel like that's supposed to connect to Umi's grief. Um, Because, like, soon after that scene uh, is that where she has that dream uh, where she's wandering looking for her father. And then she wakes up and has the other dream where the father is home and stuff like that. So I feel like it's showing that she's not ready to move past her grief. And that's, like, why she still does the flags because she isn't ready to move on.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also love how it's like portray that way even though it's very sad but um i feel like it also contribute to the fact that the movie tried to portray the idea of preserving the past like um there's one quote from the clubhouse members i think it's from shun i'm not pretty sure because i didn't like write anything down but he basically saying something like destroy the old and you destroy our memory of the past yeah so it's kind of make me think back to umi's um grief from like her father but i don't know how to actually explain it because it's hard to compare to like the disappearance of the clubhouse like something you love and want to belong to compared to like the loss of your family
1: you know i didn't even actually think about that till now that's so that's so interesting because we kind of have these almost conflicting but also complementing themes where we're talking about grief and how Umi has to find a way to move past her grief and, like, live her life. But then at the same time, she still wants to stay, like, connected to her father in his memory. And then the clubhouse, we kind of have the same thing going on where um, they want to preserve— the memory and the the clubhouse itself, um, but they have to find ways to change it and improve it so that it can continue to thrive. It's kind of like what's going on with her grief. It's not that she has to let go of the memory of her father. She just has to find a different way to live with it. Because the way she's living it with it right now is kind of keeping her in one spot. You know, mm-hmm. she's not like growing and moving um, yeah. from it. That's interesting. So I don't know. The reason I feel like the two themes kind of conflict is because with the clubhouse, I think there's more of an emphasis on the value of tradition and older things. Whereas with the grief, I think there's more of a theme of like moving forward, Mm -hmm. moving farther from older things. But then I think both of the themes can connect in the point that there is a balance that has to be maintained. Like you need to move on from your grief, but you don't have to revoke the memory of your father, you know? And then same thing with the clubhouse, you know, you can restore it and keep, you know, the antique aspect of it, but you still need to renovate it and make it new in some ways because it improves the building. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I, I I never tied that together. I don't know how you, uh,
0: Your brain. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it just, like, pop up when we're talking about a past. So, yeah, like you mentioned, now it's made me think about, like, how her mom gonna do with, like, her husband dead because she chose to move on, doesn't she? Like, she chose to come to the america to to, study yeah yeah, to study and move on from the past but then she also have some compassion compared to umi where she talking about like uh this is what happened in your past and stuff and umi also willing to like show her her true emotions so yeah i just thought it's interesting to talk about the conflict like you said
1: yeah it's it's really interesting and then kind of more with this theme of grief whenever I mentioned um remember when she has that dream and she sees her father and he says something like your flags led me home Umi uh you're such a big girl now oh that scene crushed me first of all that scene crushed me um but then something similar happens later because we kind of have this weird connection between Umi and her father and Umi and Shun and their love and so the fact that she's been sending out these flags to try to bring her father home and it gets the attention of Shun, she ends up saying to him later, when I raise those flags, they're to they're to my dad for a safe return. I think he knows he can never come back, so he sent you instead. And there's something beautiful about that, because I think that still continues with what we're talking about, the theme of finding a balance between moving forward and also like remembering the past, because her future is Shun, I would say, and then her past is her father. And so... With this idea that her father sent Shun to her via the flags kind of shows this, like, I don't know, maybe how to navigate the past in the future or the old and the new.
0: Yeah, I just love how, um, like, the connection between the signal flags that also showed a path for her to work from the past to the future like you just say
1: yeah it's like she she's using the past which is the flags as a mechanism to connect with her future Mm -hmm. but she's doing it unknowingly yeah yeah so i don't know that's so interesting i thought it was really beautiful and poetic this idea that you know um the flags were for her dad but it ended up sending her someone else so it's kind of like my my dad sent you like i think that's really beautiful Mm -hmm. um but then it gets ruined by other stuff that we'll, we're going to talk about the weird relationship between Ifshun and um are related. We'll talk about that at the end because um, <laughs> that that was the part of the film that was not enjoyable um, for me, at least. But yeah. Oh, and then uh, since we're just talking about the flags, I'll just say this real quick. At the very end, when they're on the boat and they're um, going back home and her flags are raised and this time, it's signaling her home. I thought that was really cool. 'Cause wait, when
0: is that part? I think I missed that.
1: The entire movie, she's the one always raising the flags, right? Uh So I think she raises the flag at some point and then you know, um, Shun and Umi are at the school and then they end up um rushing to get to that boat to talk to that man that knew about their their father or whatever, and on their way back to the mainland They both see um, her flag that she had set up earlier. And that's the first time that we see Umi being led home by her own flag rather than her raising the flag for somebody else. This time it was like already raised. And so when they're going back home, it's almost like the flag was raised for her or at least that's definitely me just kind of like that's my interpretation um, that I feel like it was leading her home. I feel like there's supposed to be some sort of significance there. Like now she knows the truth. Now she can put the past to rest in a sense. And return home and so this time the
0: flag is like leading her home yeah no i love your interpretation on that and it's also made me think about like um how the way everybody in the house tried to ask her like oh you need to move on from this you need to forget the past and stuff but at the end they still preserve it for her yeah they still do it for her so it just like it's so beautiful
1: and more with this theme that we're talking about with the past and the new and everything like that is her actual home which serves as an interesting contrast to the clubhouse because we have the clubhouse, which is like um, super messy and disorganized, dirty, all of these things. Um, And then we have Umi's house, which is also a historical building, but it's like well kept. It's renovated. It's been restored um, to show that like, you know, you can, you know, um, you can maintain tradition, you can maintain history, but you have to do it in a way that, ah uh, i don't know how to put it you just have to do it in a way that's preserving it you know not like allowing it to kind of like turn to dust and go to waste kind of mm-hmm. thing because um, i just thought that was interesting because i remember when Shun sees her house for the first time that's like one of the things he comments on it's like wow your house is really nice um but it's old and you've taken such well care of it you know and i think that's another thing that shows like umi's responsibility and her kind of pride i think in her own responsibility like she's the one that has been maintaining that house yeah but yeah i don't know there's just kind of an interesting um contrast there and i definitely feel like it's the state of her house that inspires them to renovate the clubhouse if i remember because i think that's
0: when they come up with that idea yeah i think she's the one who come up with the idea like maybe you can clean a little bit and then invite the girls over so <laughs> yeah. That they can, yeah so that it can like uh, actually <laughs> become like an actual club and have someone to support them so
1: we've kind of beat this theme I think of traditionalism versus modernism Um, but I'll just say one more thing that has to do with the clubhouse and this theme is that um, whenever Umi and the boys go to the chairman directly to appeal to not have the building demolished uh, Umi says to the chairman "Um, it makes us feel connected to our past like we belong to something she says that to like defend why they shouldn't demolish the building yeah I just wanted to throw that quote in there because that was a really good one (laughs) and I should have mentioned it earlier probably but yeah I don't know do you remember her saying that Mm -hmm. and then like convinced the chairman like that one statement like just convinced him yeah Yeah, I love that quote too and her saying like like we belong to something could kind of move us into how the clubhouse in itself represents like for Betty, she said this sense of nationalism. And for me, it's definitely, like, community or identity related for sure. Like, the clubhouse itself. And I feel like Umi's quote right there, feeling like we need to be connected to our past, like we belong to something, shows, like, the importance of this other theme that has to do with identity.
0: Yeah. Like, the, the reason why I say it's to uh, nationalism, because um, it's also take play at the same time with the Olympics one. So, it's more, like, open to the international world, like, more aspect from the Western culture yeah. and other cultures, too. So it just, like, seemed to me like they're trying to defend and preserve their Japanese culture things. So it's just, like, interesting for me to look at that way. And I feel like um, the way they also sing the nation anthem and the club anthem is so cute. Like, the protest just, like, to preserve their traditions where people trying to adapt to more modern changes from the western cultures yeah
1: Yeah, I, I think it's super interesting and especially like as a history major like all the historical context that we see Japan quote unquote trying to like catch up with the West, uh, and like Western imperialism, uh, Western capitalism, and just kind of these uh, different values that contradict with a lot of like uh, Japanese, like traditional cultural views. And so it's kind of interesting to see like this young generation kind of like resist against this change. Because I feel like usually we see the opposite, don't we? We see Mm -hmm. like older people clinging to traditional values and the younger people are kind of coming in with these new ideas that are upsetting the older generation. But we have like the opposite going on here. We have like these young... Um, Japanese students that are like, no, like, we need to reserve our heritage and our culture. And I, I just think that's really, I like that. I like that change.
0: Yeah, like you said, we see the opposite. And I think the way we react, also the same as, like, um, I don't know what the man position is. Like, the man that Umi and two boys invite, The chairman? Yeah, the chairman react to um like the way the student pry about their clubs like they're just saying like uh, what are you doing here like they, s- they mentioned about something and then what do you get Chief, nothing and it's just like something interesting for him to look at like well actually they're passionate to do these thing, which they not really know anything about it yet like they're just in the process of discovering around so. Yeah, exactly. And once he
1: actually sees the clubhouse and visits, he you know understands why it's so important to the students. And um, I, I don't remember who said this because I didn't write it down, but uh, somebody says at some point they think the clubhouse is just an eyesore, but they don't know what's going on inside. inside. I feel like it's Shun that says that. I could be wrong. But and that's kind of exactly like the theme of the clubhouse, I feel, is that you look at it and you think it's old and broken and dusty and that there's no point for it. But then you go inside and it's like this living, breathing organism, like all the different members that make up the clubhouse um, add like just this flair to it. And so they're very they're very dedicated to, I guess, like it's like this little this little empire, this little safe haven they've built for them to (laughs) these boys to explore their clubs and stuff. Something that I wrote down, and I don't know if I've entirely figured this out yet, was what does fixing up the Latin Quarter or the clubhouse represent, like metaphorically? Because, you know, we understand kind of the meaning behind why they're defending it, why they care about it, but they do end up fixing it up. And I was kind of trying to figure out what does that mean? But now, from our previous discussion, I feel like we've kind of figured it out. It's to show that there is this balance between the new and the old, and you still need to like have some like sort of maintenance like this relationship with the past where you're not clinging to it desperately you're allowing the past to influence your future and move you forward instead of just like staying set in the past which I think kind of is, is represented through them cleaning it up I guess
0: yeah no, I feel the same too and it's it's somewhat interesting because um each clubs that I've um like found I feel like it's also um, depend heavily on like the Western academic, like astrology and philosophy and all the stuff. I feel like just like the way they do it. Also, like you said, just like trying to find a balance between like two different cultures and also like the way they preserve it instead of like protect it. I have no idea. I got distracted again, sorry. No, there's always noise
1: <laughs> outside in there, right? Um. Yeah, and I think another quote to go along with this discussion is uh, somebody, it's probably Umi, says, I never knew all this existed under all of this dust. And I think that shows, you know, like why that balance is important, because we can appreciate and idealize the past all we want but we have to recognize that the past was once present. It's not perfect, like there's still things that we can improve and fix about it so that our future looks more bright. And I feel like that's kind of the idea we get here where she's like, I never knew all this existed because it was like filthy, <laughs> like y'all weren't taking care of it. Um, yeah, but let me see what else I wrote. Yeah, so we're kind of talking about this theme of old and new again, but th- there's really this overarching theme of like community and like the friendships, like the boys and the girls like working together to accomplish this
0: uh, mutual goal. Uh, and all of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and one other thing I found interesting is like they actually like switch roles to each other. Like, I don't know if you know this one part, like when, when the girl first entered the clubhouse, it's all boys. But uh, when they actually clean the house, the girl just like switched the boys' duty. There's one part that um, the girl trying to stow, I don't know what it's called, like you use that to put on the wall, and the girl just like stole oh, that from the plaster. Um, plaster. The yeah. plaster, okay, yeah she taught a man how to do plaster which in my opinion i don't know but it seemed like uh, a man's duty to do these things like, right they should know how to do it but now it switched the role to the girl so i just well, it's interesting yeah no that is interesting because i think like with women like cleaning is
1: probably associated with them but not necessarily like at home repairs like plastering the wall definitely i think it's more masculine just like traditional stereotypes and with that in mind we can talk a little bit about gender because that is a small theme that I saw um because you know this is an this movie takes place in 1963 so we're going to have these more traditional gender roles and not just that but we're going to have Japanese traditional gender roles not just like anywhere gender roles um and I feel like something we see a lot in this one is just kind of like this idea of boys being boys like I was trying to explain it in a way that I don't know makes sense it kind of reminds me have you seen the movie The Little Rascals Think that's what it's called. But yeah. Alfalfa, he's the one with like the little hair mm-hmm. that yeah. sticks up. Okay, like it gave me a a vibe of that almost like they're just kind of like just (laughs) I don't know they're like very goofy guys in this clubhouse they're super silly like their original like stunt to get the clubhouse to be saved instead of cleaning it which was like the logical option they're like no we're gonna jump from the top window into a little pool and make a big scene and then everyone will support us it's just like so silly (laughs) like it's so silly (laughs) because whenever they first did that that whole scene I was like what is going on it was pretty funny and you have like this like kind of lighthearted sense that the boys like they're really passionate about this but they need a level-headed girl which ends up being umi to kind of steer them in the right direction because jumping from windows is not gonna get the building not torn down mm-hmm. so i think yeah. it's funny that he thought that was gonna do something <laughs> he thought he could like convince the chairman to not tear it down just by jumping out of a window into a pool yeah. like that's so silly yeah <laughs> But, yeah, so, I mean, in some other, like, gender themes we see, it's just the fact that the girls come in there to clean. Like, some of these boys are acting like they've never interacted with a female before. It is hilarious like they're like what are girls doing here and then me and betty were talking about this before we started recording but there's this one quote that i heard in the dub that she did not see in the sub so i don't know um if there was something similar in the sub but as umi and her sister are running out of the clubhouse there's these two boys that are like whoa check it out x chromosome. <laughs> It's, like, super dorky, but it's not, like, sexist. Like, when I think of, like, Porco Rosso, because that also had traditional gender values, there were some comments that were sexist uh, that Porco, like, made towards the women. Um, and in this one, it doesn't feel like there's this, like... Any sexism, it just feels more of, like, just this understanding that during this time period, there were, you know, certain gender roles, I guess. But, like, I never felt like the boys looked down on the girls or treated them differently. If anything, I feel like they kind of, like, were praising them for helping them clean up the clubhouse. So, Mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting to see that dynamic.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I see what you say. And I just feel like they react at the same age as they should be. Like, at that time, you just divide into, like, two different groups like boys doing this and girls doing this yeah so just like the way they chose to actually understand from both sides I feel like it's, it's pretty and the way um the girls trying to help them clean the house and they yeah. admire it like they respect them yeah, yeah. I, it's really nice to see that um because that is
1: so true like developmentally um like our social environment teaches us to you know, play with our peers that are of the same uh, sex and age. And so in this, you know, they're way set into, like, their um, adolescent or, like, tween, teen years. And so they're pretty set into, like, you know, I'm going to hang out with the boys or I'm going to hang out with the girls. So it was kind of nice to see them all come together for this one goal. Because um, otherwise they probably would have stayed more, you know, like, segregated in, in different spheres, different activities. Because um, you do kind of see that during Mickey's going away party. Um, where, I don't know if you noticed, but they're all sitting at that table. And I I noticed immediately that all the men were on one end of the table and all the women were on the other end of the table. And they were having, like, two completely different conversations. Like, the men are talking about politics, and the women were probably talking about, like, Miki's next adventure because she's leaving the boarding house. Um, And I just noticed that immediately. It was, like, supposed to be, like, men talk versus women talk. And they're all adults, so it definitely had a different vibe to it. Whereas we see with the kids, like, they're able
0: to all, like, work together and interact within the clubhouse yeah no that's interesting to notice like yeah it's pretty common honestly but we didn't actually notice it until we watched the movie like i grow up and uh, whenever my family have any party we divide into like women's table and men's table because we talk about different topics
1: exactly but yeah it's so interesting because like it doesn't even have to be a bad thing Like, I feel like some people might, like, view that in a bad way, but I feel like this movie shows that it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's honestly kind of cool to see that they have their own kind of little social groups, but then they can come together for, like, a main overarching goal, um... Yeah, I don't know. I just I I actually didn't mind it too much because I feel like sometimes when I watch movies that take place in like a historical time period, I'm just waiting for something like super out of pocket. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I'm just waiting for something that's going to be a little wild. But in this movie, I don't feel like it was bad. Like it still recognized that during this time period there was different expectations for men and women. But it did show that like there were still like times where they could all get along together. It wasn't like this like huge, I don't know. I don't. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. It was just. It was just interesting the way they portrayed it. I guess.
0: Yeah, and I was talking about friendship. Do you want to touch a little bit on the friendship between, um, like, Umi's father and two other friends of him on the ship?
1: Yeah, I, I.
0: Yeah, I feel like their relationship is very special and beautiful. Like, um, it's talking about. Um, I would say brotherhood, maybe. <laughs> like they know that one day, one of them might be sacrificed because of the war. And the way, uh, I love the way they just like being together and taking photos. It just like so beautiful to preserve the memories like they used to be there. And I didn't write it down. so I don't know the exact quote, but one of them, two of them repeat the same thing. Like, don't you dare like pass away before me. So it's, it's kind of hit me at that, that part. It's just, like, so sad. The friendship, so
1: the friendship of the three men reminded me of Porco Rosso a lot because only one of them ended up surviving. And it kind of just reminded me of Porco Rosso navigating survivor's guilt. And Porco Rosso, specifically, he lost his um, his best friend who was going to marry Gina. Mm, and yeah. so, like, I don't know. I just felt kind of like a similar, like, connection. And, and, and that, in general, like, the relationship between that three men and that dilemma reflects again like the old and new theme I think because they're definitely kind of like their friendship goes way back But it can't really exist anymore because they're gone And so the remaining the surviving friend had to find a way to like move forward despite The survivor's guilt that I imagine he has. Yeah
0: Yeah, it's also beautiful and um, I'm mentioning this because I find like um, It's kind of spoiler because we didn't touch on this part yet, but well, maybe we can connect to the last part. But um the way um Umi and Shun um, come to fight the man who knew their their fathers. Yeah, like one of their fathers. We should fathers. Look up their names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I need to know the name. Like I don't um, know what I'm saying. Yeah, cuz I looked up from
1: up on Poppy Hill characters, but some of them don't have like photos to go with them, so I'm like confused. But I feel like okay, who is Okay, so Yujichi Sawamura I think is
0: Shun's father yeah maybe we can just like need to know the oh wait no is that,
1: name? Is that
0: no Tachibana is uh, Shun's father <laughs> Tachibana
1: I'm so confused okay wait uh, yeah I'll just uh, you know We'll we'll just keep going. It's yeah, okay. <laughs> so so there are
0: three men. And uh, Tachibana is Shun's, Shun's father. father and another guy is Umi's father and the last one is I would call him like Mancy. Yeah, Menci So the surviving guy. <laughs> oh my god. So is... that man, uh, Umi and Shun looking for him to know more information about their fathers. And um, talking back to the idea of preserving the past, so we can see now is like Batman is like a future looking back to like his old friend's future, like the kids oh, to, right. yeah, to recall back to the past. The
1: two kids are like carrying
0: on the legacy of their father. Yeah, yeah but they don't even know it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right? they think they,
1: yeah. So let's get into the WTF moment is what I called it. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> if you've watched the movie, which we're if you're listening to us, we're assuming that you've watched the movie, uh, the most WTF plot moment is whenever Shun and Umi think that they're related for a time because Umi and Shun fall in love just to find out that they possibly share the same biological father. (laughs) Um, So it's like really messed up. When I was watching the movie I was like oh you know this movie's going good so far it's all right it's not bad and then whenever that hit me I was like what is this? I hate this movie. Like, I immediately just despise the movie. Not that I finish it and it does clarify that they're not actually related. Like, they were mistaken. Um, I don't know. I still feel weird about it. I still feel
0: (laughs) I still yeah, feel weird no, about it. I just don't like the way they solve the problem. Like, it's not in a satisfying manner. So. I know. <laughs> it kind of wasn't. It was like, like you're you're we were talking about
1: Jujutsu Kaisen one time, and she's like, I feel like the story didn't reach its climax during this one point. That is so this movie, where I feel yeah. like the climax was like just not good. It was just not there. It was like a tiny little hill. It didn't
0: go up too high. Yeah, honestly, I'm trying to process, like, what the heck is going on, like, right now. And then they actually show it shortly after. Like, I didn't have time to feel anything so honestly yeah. and the way they solve it it just like it's just weird. so unsatisfying yeah. yeah like
1: all of my notes over that plot line are like i can't even say them because most of them are have cuss words in them cause i was like <laughs> what is going on um and i just said i was astounded um and i was like no way she's waving the flags for her brother <laughs> 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 and then um i was also mad because shun like is the one that first finds out that he thinks that they share the same dad because they look at a photograph and he's like, wait, that's my dad. What do you mean that's your dad? But he keeps it to himself. He doesn't even tell her to wait later. He's like ignoring her. And that really pissed me off. That made me so mad because Umi's just, you know, thinks she's in love with this guy and suddenly he's ignoring her. Like she doesn't know that he has discovered that they might be siblings. Like I don't know why he took so long to tell her. That made me mad. Um, and then when he finally does tell her, it's because, you know, he's been ignoring her for a few days and so she waits for him. Um, and I was just like she's waiting for him in the rain and I was just like oh no baby girl like he's not even worth it right now like he was just, make, it was just making me mad um, and then Shun finally tells Umi what's going on and that's why you know he has been ignoring her is because they're actually related and he's trying to get rid of his feelings for her and he says it's like a cheap melodrama that's what he says to her in English at least and I was like it is like a cheap melodrama I hate this plot line um and then later there's this kind of now this to me is like the climax of them dealing with this dilemma is whenever they're uh umi's about to leave on the train and she finally just confesses well i i love you you know it sucks that we are probably related but i love you and i don't really what are we supposed to do with that she says yeah so what do we do now and he and shun goes i guess we stop feeling how we feel and then i remember like the train door closes
0: did she say that in the sub? It yeah, what did it say in Japanese? Oh my god, and the Japanese version makes me so uncomfortable in that scene because um, the girl's trying to say like, I love you always even though we might relate it and stuff and it was like, no, that's so weird for me and the, the, the guy just answered like, I just feel the same ways to you and that's where they leave. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it said a different
1: English. I don't remember the exact order of what it says, but I know that Umi confesses and he says, like, I love you too. Like, he admits it. He's like, I I also love you. And she's like, well, what do we do? And then he just says, well, I guess we have to stop feeling this way. They never say that. they just like,
0: I feel the same to you. And then they leave. So that made me mm. so
1: uncomfortable.
0: Like, what do you mean? You know
1: (laughs) know what I think it is? Because this is something that we were looking up a bit before. I think it's the Japanese to American adaptations that they probably made because I do feel like there's something about Japan culture where I don't want to say incest is like normalized, but it's definitely a normalized trope in film and stuff like we see it in a lot of animes where there's like some like weird like brother sister or uh, older older sister younger brother like weird relationships like we see weird stuff like that sometimes I think in anime um, so I feel like maybe when they were adopting this film to be released in America, they probably changed the dialogue
0: to yeah. make the,
1: like, American audience, like, more comfortable, maybe.
0: Yeah, probably. And I do remember they mentioned, like, um, we should maintain, like, the buddy relationship. Is, is that the moment where they walk in the rain and talking about all the truth? They already mentioned it, but it still not contribute to the park. like, they actually have the same feeling for each other and they just accept it. So I think that's why make me, like, I don't understand. Yeah, the Japanese
1: version makes it seem like, you know, they're like, well, still in love. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. But in the English, they clarify, yeah, we're in love, but this sucks because we can't be together and we need to stop this. I I did kind of like that they drew that line, that they were like, we need to... Like, you know, because Umi needed to confess her love. I think she needed to get it out there. But I think it was good that they kind of set this boundary like, well, we're related, so too bad. Um, But then we find out later they're not related. I don't know. I'm like, why are they making me do mental gymnastics with this movie? Like, it was ridiculous. Honestly. Um, Gosh. And so I was also so confused. I'm like, how are they the same age then? So... That, mean, that would mean the father was actively cheating on the mother while the mother was pregnant with Umi. So, you know, I, I was it kind of didn't make sense from the beginning because I was like, how are they the same age then?
0: Yeah, and it made me wonder because I don't know how it's going to be at the dub, but when Umi talking to her mother and uh, she explained everything like, no, uh, Shun is not your, like, biological brother and your father just, like, adopt him and then send it to, like, someone, uh, like, his friend to adopt him again. But um, the fact that Umi asked her mother again, like, how do you sure that it's not, like, my father's son? It make me so confused. And the mom, like, the mom said something like, yeah, I can't be sure. Yeah. And she said, like, I would be happy to have him to meet him and I'm so confused like what you mean like you not realize like your daughter fall in love with like maybe probably your son or what's going on yeah I don't
1: know how the mom like couldn't tell that her daughter was like heartbroken and in love yeah like because I don't know I just felt like as a mom like my mom would know if something was going on like my mom was the kind of mom where like in middle school I'd get in the car and she's like you're smiling a little too much did you talk to someone were you talking to someone before you got in the car like my mom just like can read my mind (laughs) and my emotions I feel like my mom would be able to tell if there was something going on but this mom she doesn't really ask you know Umi why she's even crying she's gonna ask what's up I mean she consoles her and it's super sweet but like I don't know the mom instincts were not investigating enough I know (laughs) <laughs> but yeah no it's just uh it's weird. I think also like the mom doesn't know where this baby came from. She does not know the origin of this baby. She just wants to assume that her the father was not or the husband was not cheating on her. I that's kind of the vibe I was getting where she's like, "I mean, I guess there's no way to actually know if this boy is biologically your brother or not, but I would like to say no." <laughs> I feel like that's kind of the vibe I was getting. The mom just was like, eh, "I don't think so." Yeah. <laughs> But um, something I was looking up is my understanding on why the father uh, did exactly what he did because he legally adopted Shun and then, you know, gave him off to another family, which is where all the confusion comes from, is that, like, legally, it says that that is his father because he legally adopted him. And I didn't understand why. Like, why did he legally adopt him just to give him to a different family? Oh, because... And it was because, like, he didn't want the boy to be sent to an orphanage or something. Yes,
0: and because Umi's mother... um that's weird yeah yeah well let's let's cut this part (laughs) let's say it again uh so because umi's mother uh one explained that she cannot take care of the baby because she's pregnant at that time so that's why she refused to take the baby right and the husband have to like give it to another family right but yeah just, I don't
1: know. I'm I don't just, know, just you, know,
0: you know, my roommate's actually in here studying while
1: we do this, and she brought up a great point. Why didn't he just write a note to his wife explaining, like, who the hell this baby was? Why yeah. didn't he just say, by the way, this is my homie's baby. He just died, so that's why I have this baby. Like, why, why didn't he just explain it to his wife? <laughs> why didn't he write her letter? Like, why didn't he do anything?
0: Yeah. <laughs> he just I, let everyone be confused. And I just don't know why. Like, both the family never explain anything to the kid. Like, they just, they just choose to ignore it. They should have known that
1: one day something like this could have happened. Yeah. Like, they should have... <laughs> that pisses me off. I don't know. <laughs> but... Yeah, let's let's skip a little bit towards the end where uh Shun and Umi like learn the truth that they're not actually related after thinking they are. So like they have like forty minutes of the romantic build up, and then for like twenty minutes of the film they're freaking out because they think they're related, and then the last like fifteen minutes they discover they're not, um something like that, just random breakup. Um, but yeah, so like no, at the end the clubhouse is like gonna be kept and they're all celebrating, and then Shun gets a call from his father that this old friend of the original trio uh knows the truth about who Shun's father is and um you know he's like you need to go talk to this guy but you need to go now and so he grows and grabs Umi and then of course everyone in the school is like oh my god because they think that like Umi and Shun are like like a popular cute couple I guess like the school has no idea what's going on between these two um and how dramatic and serious it is (laughs) but anyways yeah I don't know so I remember Umi and Shun when they run to the harbor to go meet with this guy I kind of thought it was cool because I was, like, they are literally running for the truth. Like, they are searching for it. Kind of showed how desperate they were just to have closure and know, you know, are they related or not? And also, like, more about their parent. Um, also, I just another thing. Like, whenever uh, Umi had to jump from the ship onto the ladder in the way, like, she would, like, you know, make sure she's safe. Like, yeah. you know, because at the end of the day, related or not, they still care for each other. Yeah. Um, So I guess, I mean, I guess that was the point of some of that, Um, especially because after he was ignoring her for so long, I was like, dang, that's kind of (laughs) heartless. Like, I know it's weird and awkward, but say something.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, they still care about each other regardless. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't have anything to comment on i think it's gonna be cute without that idea (laughs)
1: yeah (laughs) you know what i wrote i wrote this is a mama mia love story because (laughs) it kind of reminded me of mama mia of how like she doesn't know who her dad is and she has to like find out which one of her dads it is and it's confusing and silly honestly yeah it gives that vibe
0: yeah i'm trying to find some like positive aspect (laughs) from this relationship but i feel like um, the way they run toward the truth like you said it's just like they want to conform like they not biologically set so that I can be together but just in, I don't know <sighs> without yeah. that it, it's, it's cute without that but after going through like all the things I just feel like it's exactly it's, it's hard to accept like this entire discussion like we started with the
1: more conventional like themes that we' found interesting and good and we decided to end with kind of these essentially incest <laughs> implications we decided to end with it because it was so distasteful and it, it, we did not like that about the film and so we didn't want to highlight it which is why we wanted to end with it because uh, it was just like it just felt unnecessary like I feel like we have all these other elements going on in the film that are super good we have Um, like, so physical plot wise, the school is going to be demolished. So they got to figure that out. And then also Umi's trying to navigate grief and also like being in charge of the household without her mother. Like, that's a big deal. So I don't know. I feel like there was other stuff that they could have focused on even more. They could, they should have cut out the like incest confusion part. I feel like that should have been cut out of Mm -hmm. the final film. They should have replaced it with more navigating, I think, grief. Cause I feel like that was supposed to be one of the biggest, um, themes of the film was grief also the traditionalism versus modernism to me those were the two big themes and I don't feel like I, I feel like the grief theme could have been explored more if they would have cut out the weird <laughs> incest
0: part yeah honestly it, it's hard for me to accept and it remind me of um the conversation we have in the boy and the Aaron I think at the oh, point yeah. we we published this it should be out at that time so Come listen to it. But um, we also mentioned something about that, where the father and Mahito, the protagonist's aunt, (laughs) get married, like, three years after his mother passed away. Right. It's just, like, weird. So i don't know it's hard to understand yeah
1: and another thing that you said earlier betty it was about when mojito first like uh meets his mother whenever she is his age and we don't yeah. know that's his mother at first so a lot of people are automatically forming this impression that they might end up forming love but then you find out that is his mother just when she was young so we do not want that to happen yeah. and then we'll get to this uh other ghibli film when marnie was there i've heard a lot of controversial things about <laughs> or maybe not controversial but like there'll be a lot to talk about with that what is going on with these themes I will say like I don't feel like uh, how do how do I word this properly because this is such a weird subject to talk about like incest in films basically um but I will say a film where I think they did it comically correct is have you seen back to the future i heard of it. You've heard of it. Okay, so in that one, the bo- the main character, Marty, goes back in time, and he accidentally interrupts uh, the moment where his mom and dad meet in high school. Mm-hmm. And he accidentally fills the role that his father had filled. And so the mother falls in love with her son. Um, and so that's weird, right? But it's more comical because for this one, like, first of all, he recognizes that that is his mother, and he thinks it's gross. And then also they have this moment where the mom literally, like, tries to kiss him, and she goes... That felt or she does kiss him. And she goes, I felt like kissing my brother. So, like, I don't know, at least they're kind of drawing this line and it's supposed to be a little more comical. It's supposed to be a plot line because he has to get his parents to fall in love so that he can go back to the present. Because if they don't fall in love, you know, he isn't born Um, in this one. Like, I don't know there was no there was nothing about it that was comical to me. Because in Back to the Future, it's supposed to be kind of funny. Mm-hmm. It's definitely like, ugh, his mom? Like, it's something that's supposed to be gross, but it's supposed to be funny as well. And it's like an important plot point because he has messed up his parents' meeting and he has to fix it. So, like, it's a... This this miscommunication of them thinking they're siblings, what plot point does it really hold? It just, you know, stops their romance from happening. Yeah. I mean, I don't. It, it doesn't feel necessary to the plot and it's not
0: funny. So, yeah. what is the point of it? <laughs> it just, like... If it happened that way, I would rather have, like, a sad ending rather than a happy ending like this. Like, it's it's weird. That was
1: another thing I wrote down, is that... Was was the ending too happy? (laughs) Was it too perfect, you know? Because they end up getting everything they want. The clubhouse is, you know, saved. Um... The uh, She comes to terms a little bit more with her father's death. The flag is waving her home this time, so it's definitely kind of trying to signal a new beginning for her, maybe. The mom is back from the States, and she can date her not-brother. So Her not-brother. That's (laughs) what I'm going to call him. The not-brother. And I was just like, you know, this seems to be wrapped up a little too perfectly with a little bow. I don't know. I kind of didn't like the ending. What did you think
0: of the ending? I don't know, because I don't want to, like judges too much like there's (laughs) some part i like it but yeah like i said i already said uh, earlier that that if that happened i would rather to have like a sad ending like just (laughs) just tear them apart i have no idea
1: like (laughs) i don't know i don't know how i would change this movie except just remove the entire plot of that yeah and
0: and I don't know if you know that uh, the film was based on a manga. So now it's made me wonder. like, it, Did that happen in the manga? Yeah. yeah. What is the ending in the manga? And maybe That's it can be question. a little bit longer to explain everything. I have no idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Betty did have a theory that we were talking about that if the film was longer, maybe it would have ended up making more sense and not have been as uncomfortable. I don't know. I think for me, like it just should not have been a part of the story at all. Um, I think they could have done something else where maybe it's like or I don't know maybe maybe instead of having them you know discover that they might be related and then being like oh well we need to stay away from each other and like he's ignoring her maybe instead of having that why didn't they have like a heart to heart moment and then maybe they go on this journey together to discover who his father is like I don't know I feel like that would have made more sense instead he like completely rejects her and ignores her after he finds out and like I don't know I just didn't like (laughs) that
0: <laughs> yeah and the fact that we already see like how umi have to deal with like her old grief it just like yeah. add up to her she's it dealing with mad. the lie. yeah i feel like shun shouldn't
1: have done that to her because he's, he's acting like it's the end of the world for him as if it also doesn't impact her you know i feel like yeah. he's only thinking of himself because he doesn't even tell her until way later yeah i don't know. not having it well I think
0: that's about it. <laughs> Do you have <laughs> anything else? I don't have anything else to add. So maybe we can rate. <laughs> so I yeah. have no idea how I can rate this movie.
1: I, I want to give it a 2 or a 3 out of 5. I'm going to give it
0: 2.
1: Yeah, I think I want to give it a 2 because I know that I put My Neighbor Totoro in Tales from Earthsea as a 3. And this one, to me, is not as good as those two. Hmm. Yeah. It's like the lowest rating I think we've given. Except uh the castle
0: of caliostro or whatever well i don't know i i know it's kind of hard to compare like those two movies like you mentioned before like it's two different genre and stuff too but i would rather watch castle caliostro really (laughs) compared to this one (laughs) yeah oh wow yeah i have no idea
1: i don't know which one i'd rather watch probably neither i think i gave castle of caliostro like a one star or i don't even know if i rated it i don't
0: remember what i rate but probably higher than this one (laughs)
1: yeah oh it, i gave it a 2.5 so i guess it's 0.5 higher <laughs> yeah not a favorite um anyways so we can talk a bit about what to look forward to next um so our next plan i believe is to do the cat returns so okay. we've already done whisper of the heart we want to do the cat returns hopefully with sarah we'd love to have her on for that one because she loves cats um <laughs> and that's really the main reason um and because we love sarah um but yeah, I don't—this one seems to be a sequel to The Whisper of the Heart, or maybe I'm wrong. I don't think it's a sequel, but— Are they um, related
0: at all? I don't think so, but so far, way, as, as I know, it's like girls, um, going to, like, cat's word in Baron, um, which is already up here in Whisper of the Heart as a statue, but, um— yeah, there's a lot of things to say, but it's I, I believe it's not related. It just, like, mm. remind you of another movie.
1: It's just interesting because it's called The Cat Returns. So, it's returning. So that To me, that made it seem yeah. like it was a sequel, I guess. It's
0: returns to take her into the world. And she has uh, to do something to yeah. deal with the curse, or else she's going to become a cat.
1: So <laughs> Okay, super silly. Love that. And then after that, we're going to do Pompoko with the little, um, what are they? Are they raccoons? Yeah. Which, yeah, that's going to be an interesting topic because um, my understanding of raccoons is that uh, Japanese people thought raccoons, like, were really cute. So they're not native to Japan. And so they imported a bunch of raccoons from America, I think. And now they have, like, a raccoon problem where there's, like, too many. Because they're they're literally, like, trash pandas. I mean, they're (laughs) just, like, digging people's trash. So I don't know. I wonder if this movie has any, like, reflection on that fact. (laughs) so i guess we'll have to see so definitely stay tuned we're coming back with lots more we're so excited to be back for this semester so yeah just stay updated with us maybe check out our other podcast called let's talk anime if you like anime as a whole um we're gonna try to do different episodes based on different genres so yeah
0: Yep. well thank you so much for listening to us until now uh i hope you're doing well stay warm and we're gonna be back soon yep bye bye bye